0: let's just quieten our hearts before the Lord as we open his word. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we do stand in awe of you. Without you, our God, where would we be? We'd be lost and dead. But because of your great love with which you loved us, You sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for us back to you. To give us life where there was death. And Lord, you've sent us out into the world now. You've said now live that light before the world. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to give heed to your word because it is your breathed out word to us. Lord, make us make it alive in our hearts now, we pray, so that we can obey, so that we can be changed, so that we can be living witnesses for Jesus Christ in this town of ours. Do your work amongst us through your Spirit, because without your Spirit doing it, it's just words. Be gracious, Lord, we pray. Amen. I'd ask you to turn with me as we continue in our studies through the book of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 14 this week, so we're making progress. We should get there before the Lord comes, but I don't know when he's coming, though. Um, Luke chapter 14, and we're going to be reading the first 14 verses together. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those um, meetings or meals where there's an elephant in the room and then someone dares to speak about it and two minutes into the piece you wish you hadn't been there. Well, I think the Pharisees found themselves in a situation like that and we're going to read about that this morning They invited Jesus to a meal but I bet you two minutes in they wish they hadn't. Let's read about this incident with the Lord. Luke chapter 14. It happened that when Jesus went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered, just note that phrase, And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him, that is the man who is sick, and healed him and sent him away. And Jesus said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. And Jesus began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place or the least place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. And that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And then Jesus goes on and he addresses two other issues and we'll look at those next time we meet around God's word. But for now, let's just look at how these Pharisees try to trap Jesus once again. Remember last time we came around the word in, in chapter 13? They were looking for ways to trap Jesus. They tried to tra- trap Jesus last time by saying, hey, Herod wants to kill you, you'd better get out before he does. But it was a trap. They wanted Jesus in Jerusalem so that they could see that he got killed. And this time Jesus is invited by a prominent r- ruling member of the Pharisees. Probably a member of the Sanhedrin or the ruling council of the Pharisees. And what was his motivation? Well, it's there in that verse for us, in verse 1. They invited him, but they were watching him closely. They were going to find a way, and they would set up a way to try and trap Jesus into breaking their many rules. And so there at this invited guest only dinner is this man with dropsy or in today's language an edema. It's a swelling of the body tissues and I put a picture up there for you, we we'll, won't keep it up there too long, but it's when the body, the feet and the legs um, swell up because of tissue that accumulates fluid. And so there's this man already with this condition, and they've invited him there specifically. And if the Pharisees invited you, you went as a Norman common member of society, because otherwise they had means of getting to you again. And so this man goes, and he must have been wondering what's going to happen. Now, we need to know something else. The rabbis in the general population, if someone had something like this, or other diseases, they would see that their point of view was that that person had committed some grievous sin. And that's why God was punishing them. And so here's this man already denigrated by society. And he's sitting at this Pharisee's meal. Why? Well, it's a simple answer. He was bait. He was bait for Jesus. Because they knew Jesus' heart. What was Jesus' heart? He had a heart of compassion. And there was no way that with this man there, Jesus was not going to heal him. He was going to heal him. But what do we know? It's the Sabbath day. And what if the Pharisees, all these rules that they had made up and contorted, they had made up this rule that you will not work at all on the Sabbath. At all. And they had many, many ways about how they spelt out how you were not to work, down to the finest little details. And here was this man. And the thing is that the, the trap for Jesus was that if Jesus didn't heal the man... Then they could point at him and say, Well, look, he's got a he hasn't got a heart of compassion. And if he did heal the man, then he was breaking the Sabbath rules. So they had him. What does Jesus do? Now note I said to you to look at that phrase. What is the phrase? Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers. Have you heard any other words yet? Anything recorded? No, but Jesus read their hearts and he answers the unspoken challenge. Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? What does he do? It's very clever. If Jesus was a lawyer, he'd have a top practice. Why? He takes the own challenge and he turns the question on them. Now they are in a dilemma because everyone, everyone, Not just the Pharisees knew that they couldn't heal anyone on any day of the week. And so Jesus said to them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You tell me. Now what do they do? If they say, no, it isn't, then they are the ones that haven't got compassion in front of the people. And if they say it is lawful, then they're breaking their own rules. And so what's their response? They remain silent. There is no other answer for them, you see. And so what does Jesus do? I love his heart of compassion. He heals the man. The man is healed, and don't just glance over that. We, take, we say that so easily. Jesus healed the man with dropsy. Well a miracle happened right in front of those people, there was a man with bulbous legs, and suddenly he was healed. Don't look over that. It's a miracle. Jesus heals the man, and then his heart of compassion, he sends him out. He says, go, get out of this place, go. But Jesus doesn't leave the Pharisees there. He then turns to them, and they knew something was coming now. And Jesus says to them, which one of you, if your son or your ox falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not immediately go and pull it out? And you're not worried about whether you're working or not, because it's your son and your ox or your donkey, your version might say. Well, do you see do you see that they had double standards? For them, the rule was, if it affects me, I can work. But for everyone else, you're not allowed to work under any situation. And so Jesus has highlighted their hearts. You see, they were Blind because of their religion, their own man-made religion. And religious blindness results in hearts with no compassion. If our religion and our rules around religion are greater to us than the people that we come into contact with, if we no longer see people with needs because of our religious rules, then we've got the same heart as these Pharisees. And so I want to ask you this morning, and we'll come to the application at the end. How do you see your faith? Is it a faith of rules? You've got to do things this way, this way, this way, this way, and anyone else who doesn't? Well, they are sinners. After all. Is that the attitude? Because if so, then you and I too have the same condition. We need to be seeing the needy. We need to be seeing the marginalized. We need to be seeing the spiritually lost. We need to have heights of compassion. I love this next bit that happens. I can just see it. We get to verses 7 to 11. I've called it the jockeying. You know what jockeying is? The motor races. The cars are all lined up. And as soon as that light goes on, they jockey for position. Well, this was happening in smaller scale in this room. Can you see those Pharisees? What had just happened, had happened and they weren't even sitting down yet. So now they've given the permission by the servants to enter in and to sit the seats. Now if you know anything about Jewish feasts, they would sit in a big U. Alright, can you see it in your mind's eye now? And right in the middle of the U at the bottom most is the host. And right next to him on the right and left are the seats of honour. And then the seats go, right and left, going towards the tail end of the U. And as they're going down the U, the seats get less honourable. Why? Because it was further away from the host, from the place of influence. And much more practically, especially for men, the food got worse as it went up. Because the best food got taken by the first people. And then as it kind of trailed up, you only ended up with the chicken wings. And so, when the servant said, please enter into the room, these, these Pharisees rushed in, and you can just see this happening. right? Can you see it? Jesus noticed it. He noticed it, says our text, how they went into this room and they were choosing the seats of honour for themselves. Now, you need to know something else about the uh, ancient Near East customs. Another thing they did was that... Um, Honor and shame was really, really important in that society. If you were shamed, it was, the bottom would fall out of your world because your reputation hung on how you were honoured. Much more so than today. Today, people don't worry about being shamed. They land on the media and the news and they just carry on with life and expect society to do the same with it. But it was very different in that world. Your honour was everything. And to be shamed, you lost everything. And something else was, at these meals, the guest of honour that the host would invite would come fashionably late. Not like brides at weddings, all right, but something like that. They would come fashionably late. And so, now see the dilemma. You're sitting at this beautiful seat because it's open, right? And suddenly, the guest of honour comes, and the host comes to you and says, <coughs> um, Would you mind shifting This this man's got to sit here. Now imagine the shame. You see? That's what Jesus is pointing out to them. And he tells this parable out at the wedding feast. You see, there was no need to jockey for position because these invited feasts had a set number of people invited and that would correspond with a set number of seats. So if you were invited, you knew you were going to get a seat. You didn't have to worry about it. You just had to find a seat, right? And so... Jesus says, he tells them this parable about being invited to a wedding feast. And they all knew the protocol, and yet these Pharisees, the religious leaders, who are supposed to set the example for Israel of humility, what do they do? They fight for position. Completely the opposite of what they should be doing. And Jesus points it out to them, and they couldn't have liked it at all. And this has all happened, the meal hasn't even been served yet. And then Jesus gives his principle there, the lesson. And this is a very important one and we need to take note of it because in today's society, this principle is often not heard. Because society says the opposite. Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does society say to us? The opposite. If you don't do something to improve your lot... If you don't do something to go on some course so that others see you as important and the main man or woman, then you know why. you see the opposites? God always uses the opposites to society because he's got real truth and society doesn't. It's always opposite to God. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, what does that look like? Well, I've got a few examples from Scripture to show you what it looks like. Satan himself. What did Satan do? Satan, there come a day. Now, we're given a few um, examples of this from Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel 28 and Revelation 12, where Satan thought came a day that I can be God. And he rebelled against God. And what happened to him? He got cast out forever from heaven. He exalted himself, but he was brought low. And he's still brought low. Nabal. Remember Nabal, your Old Testament history? Who remembers Nabal? Quick survey. How many know? Three? Oh no. Old Testament next. Nabal. When David is on the run from who? Saul. Great. David is on the run from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. He, He pulled him at this rich guy's house. Called Nabal. And he said to Nabal, Nabal, you're an Israelite. Give me food please, my men and I are starving. But what does Nabal do? He says, why should I? You haven't worked for the food? Fortunately he had a wise wife, as many of us do. And Abigail saw the need. And silently at night she came and brought food to David and fed him in his men. And to cut a long story short, in the end, David gets her too, because Nabal dies. The Bible says specifically there, he had a heart of stone towards Nabal, towards David. And then he died. You see, he raised himself up, and he was brought low. Another example, Jezebel, alright? Now, Jezebel was a different fish. She was a queen. And she was evil, and the Bible describes her as evil. And one day her weak husband Ahab, who wanted something his neighbor had, and oh, I can't get it because I'm king and he won't give it to me. He had a sulk, and she said, stop sulking, I'll get it for you. And so she used her position, and in the end Naboth lost his vineyard and his life. But there was a prophecy against Jezebel. The Lord had prophesied, you will be cast so that the dogs of the street will eat you and lick up your blood. And that's exactly what happens. She gets cast out of the um, palace windows. She falls to her death on the streets below. When Jehu rides into town as the new conqueror and the dogs lick up the blood, she exalted herself. She was brought low. And then the last one this morning, Nebuchadnezzar, remember Nebuchadnezzar? He built up this massive empire and one day he stood out on the ramparts of his palace looking out over the kingdom and it was an amazing thing if you look at the archaeology, it was amazing. And he said, what a great kingdom I have built up. And the Bible says at that very moment he lost his mind because God was working in on him, God humbled him and he got the mind of an animal. And the next thing his servants found him, he was grazing grass like an animal. The Lord had brought him low because he had exalted himself. You see, there are many examples in scripture. And then we have examples of people who humbled themselves and um, were raised up. Hannah, remember Hannah? Again, Old Testament. Who remembers Hannah? Oh, good, more now. We're getting closer to the New Testament. Um, Hannah. She wanted a son. And so she prayed, Lord, I want a son. And she prayed, the Bible says, for years and years and years and years. And then in the end, the Lord granted her praise. Why? Because she knew she was in the Lord's hands. She was a humble servant of the Lord. And he raised her up. Who did he give her? Samuel, the great prophet. The Lord raised her up. And then uh, 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 one of the great ones, and this one you should know because that's in the New Testament, Mary. Anyone know Mary? Not personally, but yep. Um, Mary was another one. Who was her son? Okay. The Lord Jesus Christ. He was her son. She was his mother, although conceived by the Spirit. But did she get a big head? If you go and look at the song of praise that Mary utters in Luke chapter 1, you will see that she is a lowly maid servant of the Lord. And yet, she is the mother of Jesus Christ. Wow. God raised her up. Now, what about you and I? You knew that was coming? Do you find yourself constantly looking out for number one? Put up your hand, please. Number one. You see, this idol of exalting yourself takes many different forms today. And it's a bit more than just taking the best seats. You might have noticed that we put some reserve signs out. Deliberately. It my teaching aid. It might still be reserved now. Good. You see, sometimes that little reserved sign is where you always sit in this church. And today there's a reserved sign. Now tell me, honestly, before the Lord, what was your first reaction? What's this doing here? This is where I always sit. Was it? Good. Stella, I'm glad there's someone who said, I wonder who's coming. Well, that was the point, you see. Because what is our first reaction when we usually do something and then something else happens and now I can't do what I always do? I'm thinking about me and I get grumpy. That's what happens. It's the same thing here. It's elevating my heart. You know where I saw this very literally and very sadly? At a major pastor's conference in LA. I don't have to tell you which one. I go to this conference and you know what always happens at Christian conferences when there's lots of people? You've got to save seats, right? Because you want to be near the front in the split range. And so, there these, these pastors are. This is the thing we laughed about later and cried, I guess. And half an hour before the time, the doors open. Now that's not bad, not many Baptist pastors there, but the doors open half an hour before the time and the people were in crowds trying to get in because it's a 7,000 seat auditorium and they need to get in first because they want to be in the spit range. There you go. And I, I kid you not, here are these pastors. Doing this to get in. Literally pushing each other like a farmer's sale to get in to these seats. I couldn't believe it. Now I was no better than one, let me add, because I also wanted to be in a good seat, but I wasn't going to do this because I'm shorter than most. So I knew when to leave it. But you know, even in churches, this little idol is there. At home, men own up. When the plates of food come out, doesn't your eye kind of go, that one. Teenagers, the biggest one. Yep, the idol. What about the importance of being seen with specific people in town? And teenagers, I'm with you again. You invite people to a party. Who do you invite? the ones you want to be seen with. You're walking down the street and a group of people come along. Those are the ones you kind of always hang out with. Well, you want to be seen with them. You're not going to hang around with the ones that aren't usually popular. It's the same little idol. We do it as adults, you know, name-dropping. Why do we do name-dropping? Why would you mention anyone's name? It's to make yourself look more important. It's the same idol. What about being judgmental or critical of others who succeed and you don't kind of get there. And you kind of feel grumpy about that. Same thing. Because they're looking better than you. Or maybe... doing Bible study and your point of view must be right. It's the same little idol. What about... what car you drive now? Now, I'm not going to get legalistic here. If you want to drive a BMW... That's your fear. Alright? But, nothing against BNS. What's your heart's motivation for choosing your vehicle? What's your heart's motivation for choosing which suburb you stay in? Is it because it's a good suburb or because, well, people know I live in... They might think better of me. When they see me driving in my car, they might think better of me. It's this idol, same thing. That was present in the Pharisees, you see. You see, it's an insidious sin. The sin of self-exaltation. And so God warns us through scripture about the self-centeredness and exalting ourselves. This is what he says, Proverbs chapter 26 verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. It's fairly black and white, don't you think? Another one, James, in the New Testament, you should know this one. James chapter 4 verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. And that's exactly what James has quoted from Jesus' words. And so Christ's teachings on humility cover the New Testament. There are many, many examples. We can't mention them all. But I want to mention one, Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 28. This is what Jesus Himself says about this. He says this, and listen, it's our theme verse. i put it on the bulletins. I'll put it up here before you as well. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. You know, when Jesus was at that lunch, guess where his seat was? What would have been the only seat open? The one right on the tip of one of the U's. The King of Kings, in the least seat. He's saying to you and I, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then sit on the U's of life, on the ends of life, and serve others. Then I will make you great. I will lift you up. And when will that happen? It might not happen in this lifetime. He says when. It will happen at the resurrection of the just. When we go to meet the Lord in the air and we stand before him, we will enter into his presence. Our record will go before him. He'll see the record of Jesus Christ on our lives. And if we've served him faithfully, he will say, enter in. And then somehow crowns are going to be handed out. I don't know about that. We're not told much about it. But there will be some rewards in heaven. And that is when Christ, who is himself our reward, will give us our rewards, whatever they are. So that's the biblical truth. Now, here's the principle. And I want you to listen to this. I'm going to say it twice. Humility is a fundamental grace in the Christian life. It's fundamental to the Christian life. It's at the foundation of the Christian life. Yet, it's elusive because the moment you think you have it, you've lost it. The moment you think you're humble, you're proud. Do you get it? Jesus not finished. There's one more he wants to speak to you. And that's the host, the one who invited him, the supreme Pharisee who invited him to this meal. He looks around and he notices in verses 12 to 14 that this host has only invited his friends, the other Pharisees, possibly those who would enjoy seeing Jesus belittled. But definitely those he knows and who he could possibly ask a favor from in return for being there at this prestigious place. Jesus can read his heart, you see. He's at a disadvantage. And so Jesus says to him, and look in verses 12, we're going to read it. He says this, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. And that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those on the peripherals. And you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you. There's the key. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, what this host was guilty of was playing people like chess. Pawn to King 4. Because I might win the game that way. Jesus says to him, no, no, no. There's nothing wrong with inviting your friends. and Just please hear this. But he's saying, instead of them, why not invite those on the peripherals who would never be able to repay you anything? You don't just invite them, you don't just invite people because one day you can call in the favor. He says call, invite people to your meal who would never ever be able to repay you. Just love them. Serve them. Invite them in. You see, his motivation as a host was, what's in it for who? For me. What's in it for me? Have you ever found yourself thinking that? Sunday lunches. We often urge you to invite people to your home, right? And so what do you say? Oh, Calvin, I've invited so many people, and no one ever invites me back. Come on. Be honest. Who's ever said that in your life? Okay, I'll keep my hand up. <laughs> that can't be. Only one. You see, don't we ask ourselves, what am I going to get out of this sometimes, honestly? Jesus says, no, it's not about you, your recognition, your needs, your feeling wanted. Invite the outcast. Invite those who you would never, ever invite out. Have you ever thought of that? Instead of inviting your normal club of friends, you know, those ones you always have over, just invite those you don't know at all. Those on the peripherals. And yes, you might be taking a risk. Just invite a big guy who's your friend with in case. But invite. Go out of your comfort zone and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. By Because by doing that, you are living out humility and the world sees and takes note. Now, in God's timing, he's brought us as a church this passage. Why? I don't know. He knows. And you might know. But let let God's word rest where it will. And so we've got some so what questions, and I've got three statements to make to you. First one is this. Do you have a heart of stone like Naboth? Sorry, not Naboth, Nathan. Do you have a heart of stone? In other words, do you have a compassionate heart for people? Do you see the lost? Do you reach out to the helpless? Or do you always... Hope someone else will. Be honest with yourself. Your resources, your talents, your service, do you ever use it to serve the needy? Or is it mostly to serve your own needs and those of your family? Do you have a heart of stone? You claim to have been saved by grace by Jesus Christ. Do you show the same love to those around you. You see, you need to ask the Lord to remove your heart of stone and to give you a heart of flesh from Ezekiel. This is what Ezekiel 11.19 says, And I will give them singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. What is that singleness? To serve God alone. I will give them a singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart. And give them a tender, responsive heart. Now the Lord is speaking about his nation there. But that same principle applies to you and I. Have you got a stony heart that God can take away and give you a flesh heart? A heart of flesh that sees the need. Second point from this passage is this one. Who reigns supreme in your heart? Is it you or him? I use the word supreme. Who reigns supreme in your heart? Is it you or him? You see, it's the motto of your life, it's all about me. It might not be that in theory, but in practice. Men, are there some jobs that are beneath you? Cleaning toilets? Are there some people who are beneath you that you feel better than? Philippians 2 verse 3 to 5 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. What was the attitude of Jesus Christ? The rest of that Philippians passage points it out. Jesus emptied himself of his glory. He took on the form of a servant, not just a man, a servant. Think of washing his disciples' feet. And in the end he died for others. And then God exalted him. And so we need to be doing the same. If Christ reigns supreme in you and I, it should show in our lives by our selfless attitude. And yes, even to our children at home. And then lastly, profit and loss. Is it all about profit and loss to me? What can I gain out of it? You see, how do we choose who we interact with, whether it's socially or spiritually? And you know, it might even come down to home study groups, home groups. Oh, I'm not going to that home group because this and that person's there. Or no, we we don't want to allow this person into our home group because they could rock the boat and make it uncomfortable here for us. It's nice and comfortable. You see the level? Profit and loss. Our prayer should be less of me, more of Jesus and his heart because we've got a heavenly gain. One day, Jesus will reward us at the resurrection of the righteous. I want to leave you with this example. Hudson Taylor. Anyone heard of James Hudson Taylor? Oh, good. I am encouraged. He was the father of mission to China. And... He was scheduled to speak in a few furloughs he could take. He went back to Melbourne in Australia and to this massive big church. I won't mention the denomination at all. He went back to this massive church and there he was introduced by the moderator of the service in very glowing and eloquent terms. And this moderator told the people about all James Hudson Taylor's accomplishments in China and then he presented him as Our illustrious guest, Mr. Taylor. And James Taylor stood quietly for a moment and then very softly he opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That's my prayer for my heart. Am I the little servant of an illustrious master. When people see me, do they see Christ? Or do they see me first? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, may our lives shout out Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Through the way people see our love for them through the way people see, the way we serve. May we shout out about your love for us. May we be little servants of you, our illustrious Master.